Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast Track Impact Podcast. This week I want to go into the empathic leadership topic in a little bit more depth and this will be the last, uh, I said that the last week was going to be the last week, I've kind of changed my mind in the intervening period. Um, so this is going to be a little less polished than the last few. Um, uh, I sometimes uh, draft out my ideas uh, for a podcast episode in a blog and kind of riff on that. Um, in other cases, I draft out my ideas for a blog in a podcast episode uh, and then polish that in the, in a blog. And, uh, and this is going to be uh, one of those ones. So I'm going to be uh, putting out a few ideas. Um, I put out a Twitter thread. Uh, just last week, uh, based on uh, what I was uh, reading, I've been reading Think Again by Adam Grant um, for a reading group, which happens today. So I'm very excited to hear what other people in our reading group think about this. Um, if you're interested, it's the Doers and Improvers uh, reading group. So look that up on Twitter and you'll find uh, the schedule of books we're reading as a group. Uh, and... Uh, this thread uh, that I've spoken about uh, on Twitter, based on this book, got me thinking about uh, the role that leaders have to influence. Uh, now, uh, as I said in the first part of this, this is not about uh, dictating and forcing people to do things with a very authoritative uh, leadership style. The empathic leader, however, draws people to them. And people can't help but be influenced by them. Uh, and I want to go into some of the skills that empathic leaders have, naturally, if that is you, or that you can grow if you want to become a more empathic leader that will enable you to be able to influence those around you for good. Now, part of my thinking here is, is evolving. Um, so uh, in the Impact Culture book, you'll see uh, an empathic leadership framework, which has three things. It's a, a Venn diagram, and in the center is this idea of empathic leadership. And I'm kind of changing how I'm thinking about this. So uh, as I was talking about this in uh, the last two episodes, I outlined the first two of these concepts, which I think are integral to empathic leadership, which is the purpose of an empathic leader and the deep rootedness of that purpose as it emerges from an understanding of our identities and our values and hence uh, our positionality within our teams and the world. I went on to talk about how we uh, need to grow our expertise in finding expertise, uh, in connecting uh, ideas and people and networks uh, around uh, that purpose uh, in order to, to mobilise the best evidence, the best ideas, the right people to achieve change, uh, rather than having a very narrow um, uh, expertise, uh, the kind of expertise we typically value in academia. But now I'm thinking about that third element, and in the book I described this as service, 
because there needs to be an element of this which is explicitly about how you use that purpose and those networks and ideas that you brought together to actually achieve change. And uh, the sense that, uh, that I have as I've been uh, just thinking about this, mulling this over, is that uh, what happens when you have this third element, service, or perhaps impact, or perhaps influence, or maybe a combination of the three of these ideas, this kind of outward-facing, uh, enacting change element of the framework, what you get at the centre of these three uh, parts of your Venn diagram, yes, is empathic leadership, that's the whole point, yeah, but it's something deeper. And I think that in fact what you get is compassion. If we define compassion as empathy that takes action. Uh, and I think that this is kind of the whole point of the empathic leadership model, which is that uh, as empathic leaders, we don't just want to feel with our colleagues and understand their perceptions, key into the needs of our stakeholders uh, and the world in order to, to, to serve them. Uh, we take a step of action based on what we understand, what we learn from our colleagues, uh, from the people we're connected to in the wider world. Uh, and as a result, uh, our empathy, now taking action, uh, becomes uh, the embodiment of that, which is compassion. And uh, that is why I think that the emergent property of uh, an emergent leadership style is a compassionate culture that you create around you as a leader. Uh, teams that care deeply for each other, uh, but that start by understanding uh, and valuing their own weaknesses and challenges and having self-compassion. Uh, and uh, a compassionate culture that reaches out, that seeks out and meets need out there in the world, which is why uh, fundamentally the empathic leadership model is what I believe we need if we want to become the kind of leaders that facilitate impact. Now, I'm going to, uh, to, to draw, first of all, on the stuff that uh, I took from Adam Grant's book, uh, Think Again. And this is just one chapter where he dives into the evidence of uh, what makes a good negotiator. So these are various studies that have looked at expert negotiators who get results, uh, who resolve some of the most thorny and contentious issues, uh, whether that's uh, hostage negotiators, uh, people uh, negotiating um, uh, peace uh, in, in conflict zones, uh, those kind of things. He also looked at debaters as well um, and looked at some of the evidence uh, that is coming out of computer science uh, and psychology that explains uh, how expert debaters uh, win debates. Um, and I had no idea there are debating uh, championships uh, internationally <laughs> and there is, a, there is a way of winning a debate uh, and, uh, and you can, you can uh, come up with the formula um, and, and he does. Uh, and what struck me as I was listening, because uh, I was listening to the audiobook, that's how I read books, uh, as I was listening to this evidence, was that these negotiators and debaters uh, actually fundamentally were taking an empathic approach. And he didn't describe it as this, but uh, the more I look, the, the more this seemed to be the thing that explained what was going on and kind of boiled all of this down to something uh, really simple but really powerful. Uh, and in particular, it starts by 
um, challenging the view that if you want to win a debate, if you want to negotiate something that uh, is in the interests um, of, of everyone and move someone's position, i.e. influence them, that, uh, that evidence and logic is not the best way of doing this. Uh, and it's not to say that we don't use evidence, it's not to say we don't use uh, logic and form coherent arguments. We are academics, after all. Uh, but uh, rather than putting that first and relying on that, uh, instead, if you want to actually influence someone who uh, is going down a slightly different track that you think is perhaps not uh, good for them, not uh, in the interests of the collective whole, uh, and you want to bring them around to uh, a more beneficial uh, way of, of acting, uh, then we start by trying to open a channel of empathy, to connect to find what are the things, the points at which we can agree. Where is the common ground? Uh, and once we've done that, to understand what we might be able to give to them, rather than just focusing on what we need, what we want, what we think, uh, which often has a whole load of assumptions, uh, because we don't really understand actually the situation that they're in. If we did, we might understand why they're doing what they're doing, and maybe in fact we'd follow them, who knows? <laughs> Uh, and one of the key reasons that this works is that uh, you stop going into the default position of defensiveness. So uh, people are often uh, deeply wedded to their ideas, uh, their behaviours um, and uh, ways of, of acting, of working, etc. because they are tied more deeply to their sense of who they are and to their values. And you can't just change that stuff. And the reason that people will often react uh, in ways which seem disproportionate is that you're not just uh, challenging what they're doing, you're challenging who they are very often because of those kinds of connections. And as a result, people instinctively become uh, defensive uh, and as a result they stop listening uh, and as a result there can be no learning but equally if you go in all guns blazing with your logic your arguments your evidence the problem is it's exactly the same you're not listening to them you're not learning either and if we uh, value the, uh, the 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 research process uh, the the idea that uh, we follow evidence uh, then we need to value the idea that we too keep an open mind uh, because there could be some uh, other evidence or an alternative perception uh, or interpretation of that evidence. So by understanding the person that we're talking to, um, by showing where we actually agree and potentially even revising some of our own views and demonstrating that uh, open-mindedness, I would argue that this empathic approach uh, is not showing weakness, far from it. In fact, what we do instead is we demonstrate our open-mindedness uh, open and as a result, encourage the people we're working with to become more open-minded as well. And now we've got this blossoming of listening on both sides and the potential to learn. Uh, the, the the second thing I guess that, that really resonated to me as with me as I was listening to this and made me really realize just how empathic this pro approach is was that Adam Grant talks about how expert negotiators are more likely to express their feelings um, uh, alongside um, uh, all of the arguments the ideas and everything else that's going on um, 
Uh, and as part of this, they are also more likely to ask how the other person is feeling. Uh, not just, what are you thinking at this point? Uh, where are you at? How are you feeling? Um, uh, and uh, you get the right to ask that question. Um, uh, people don't have to answer it, of course, but you get the right to ask that question once you've been vulnerable enough to explain how you're feeling. Yeah, I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling frustrated. This is challenging. Uh, this is how this is impacting on me as well. Uh, and this is part of the process of opening those channels of empathy. Uh, but it's also about being authentic. Uh, and so it's no longer here is me and I represent the management. I represent uh, this perspective, uh, this position, people like that. <laughs> uh, it, actually, no, I'm me now. Uh, I am authentically me. And you can open a channel of empathy with an authentic, real person in front of you far more than you can with a member of the management team or someone of that uh, type or position. <clears throat> Uh, and uh, and so as we become more authentic uh, and ask people questions that make them curious about us, we encourage them to take this empathic step towards us. And perhaps questions are now forming in their mind that they ask, and, uh, and great, there is now much more likelihood of a meeting of minds. And the evidence suggests then that we are more likely to influence others when we express our opinions with more moderate confidence rather than being overconfidence. We've opened that channel of empathy. We're no longer bashing people over the head with our arguments. Uh, they've not become defensive. We've not reacted angrily. We're not in an argument. Uh, we're talking to each other. I don't need to be overconfident. Uh, I can now express an opinion with the, 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 the caveats that I might not be right. Uh, but here's the evidence. Uh, this is much more gentle. And it is the humility behind this approach that, uh, that I would argue is what creates this connection rather than pushing people away from us into more defensive positions when they detect that sense of overconfidence, which ultimately I think very often people uh, are realising on some subconscious level um, uh, it belies some lack of confidence or, or something that we're trying to hide or compensate for with our overconfidence. And I begin to naturally doubt and, uh, and suspect, uh, to su suspect you of something. So uh, listening deeply uh, is what this is all about. Uh, and uh, I would argue that it is this deep listening that is what shows both respect and care for the other person, whether or not we necessarily agree with them. Uh, and as I've said before, I believe that empathy is the deepest form of listening. And it's now in this place that these people who would otherwise not have opened their minds, not have even considered the evidence that you might have, the position, the perspective that you're trying to bring. They open their minds to this. They come closer to you. They put themselves in your shoes as you put yourself in their shoes. Uh, and you have that meeting of minds and you meet in the middle, which of course means that you are uh, also giving ground. You are also learning and moving forward and changing and perhaps learning from and doing some stuff uh, based on what they've told you. Uh, but now they're not just carrying on as they always have. Uh, you have influenced them. <clears throat> so uh, 
the idea that we can influence others based on our empathy. And so the idea of an empathic leader as an influential leader, but a form of influence that's in keeping with the rest of this framework is very much bottom-up, uh, leading from behind, or perhaps uh, more accurately, leading from within, uh, from within you, uh, drawing on that authentic place of understanding yourself and your purpose, but also from within them as you take that step of empathy into their uh, positions, um, uh, their worlds, and understand where they are coming from. So, a few concluding thoughts. So this is going to be a shorter than average uh, episode this week, um, uh, but just uh, forming my ideas on this, and uh, I will explore and deepen in a in a blog post in due course. If you want to keep an eye on that, I'll uh, tweet it, stick it on LinkedIn, uh, and the like. Um, but the the idea of uh, influence, service, this outward-reaching third pillar of the empathic leadership uh, model, which ultimately, when you put with these other two, purpose um, uh, and bridging expertise, leads to compassion, a compassionate leadership style and uh, the emergent property of this being a, a compassionate uh, culture. Uh, and going back to that purpose pillar, I think because as a result of getting to understand and know yourself really deeply, and understanding how your purpose is informed by your identities and values, you become psychologically free to actually ask what others need, rather than subconsciously leading to fill your own lack or need for external gratification. And I think that we probably all cite leaders that we have had to interact with in the past, maybe we're serving under some of them at the moment, uh, where yes, uh, they, they are there for us and they have some really great motives, but we know that they are mixed motives. Uh, and how many leaders do we know who we also suspect deeply uh, are actually in it to, to, to get that sense of, uh, of gratification, of, uh, of self-worth, that they are good enough. And that was why they had to apply for that leadership job and had to be at the top. Uh, and when they are acting out of those motives, they very rarely make the people around them feel good. And, uh, and ultimately, there is a conflict of interests and, and they're making decisions uh, that uh, put them on the pedestal, that give them legacy, um, uh, that will uh, impress uh, their bosses um, uh, or whoever it is that, uh, that they have to serve, uh, usually someone who's got um, uh, money in mind. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, the, the, the waters become muddied. And if you are a leader, I'd l encourage you to, to look in. Um, yeah, very few of us have pure motives, uh, and, uh, and I would argue that uh, probably most of us uh, have some of those needs uh, somewhere in there. And it's, uh, it's about uh, understanding and being transparent about that and being aware of that and becoming more and more conscious of when we end up acting out of those motives um, rather than purging ourselves of them altogether. We are human beings after all. Um, I think also this self-knowledge enables us as leaders to be able to respond much more effectively to criticism, uh, and we're much less prone to people-pleasing. Uh, so you're going to get criticised uh, as a leader, it is inevitable. <laughs> uh, and uh, as a result when uh, of doing this deeper work, when you get criticised, uh, you're going to be able to separate 
uh, your decision from who you are. So great, I'm being criticised, uh, but it's the decision that is being criticised, not me fundamentally who is being criticised. And as a result, I can stop myself from instinctively going into defensive mode to defend me when, yeah, actually, maybe my decision is indefensible. Uh, or not, as the case may be. The point is that I can listen. Uh, without becoming defensive, uh, and as a result I can be much more likely to learn. Even if I don't agree with the criticism that my critics are levelling at me, uh, my critics will feel listened to because I haven't just instantly gone into defensive mode. I've uh, asked questions, I've been curious, I've sought to understand why, I've put myself in their shoes, uh, and even if at the end I say, no, actually, I'm sticking with this decision, I'm able to then explain that decision and justify that uh, and hopefully ameliorate the worst negative effects in a way that is much more empathic that uh, enables them to feel like, yeah, you understand where you're, where we're coming from here, uh, and yet you're making that decision based on those principles, and I understand those principles, don't agree with them, and I understand that you're doing this in a way that is going to be as kind as possible to our interests, uh, but you're still not, uh, you're not moving. And this is uh, the, the thing, uh, people think that empathic leadership is about being weak, it's about flip-flopping, doing what everyone asks, um, and very often it's not. Uh, but uh, instead of alienating your opponents, uh, you reach out to them and they're much more likely to come with you. And of course, you're more likely to actually be able to listen and pivot when necessary. And I would argue that uh, the strongest leaders are those who are able to pivot when it is clear that the evidence is against them, rather than doggedly sticking to something that is clearly not going to work because I'm a leader and I'm a strong leader and I stick to my guns. And so now, as a result of this, uh, you're able to seek out the needs of others, uh, your teams, your stakeholders, uh, you know where they are at, um, uh, and uh, you understand this far more deeply than you might otherwise be able to understand. Uh, and the result of that now is that we can co-produce benefits for our teams and for our stakeholders. We co-produce impact. And when we co-produce our impact, we can achieve way, way more. These are now functional teams, everyone pulling together towards a common goal that we share. Uh, these are stakeholders who are throwing staff time, resources, uh, sharing out responsibilities with us. Uh, we can do great things when we work together. And even if we don't have the same mission, uh, we can't uh, all be homogeneously uh, on the same page. Uh, we are able to be curious, we're able to ask questions, uh, and we're able to at least find uh, the, the small uh, parts of our missions that do overlap and find ways to hold our teams together to uh, retain that connection, even when we happen to be working at odds on certain issues. Uh, and ultimately, to, to, to bring this to a close, I think that uh, the result of this is that we're able to be truly altruistic uh, as leaders, uh, rather than being self-serving. Uh, and as we do this, we begin to channel uh, forms of power that instinctively attract people to us, that, uh, that are, I would argue, the hallmarks of natural leaders, personal power and transpersonal power. I've talked about this at length in um, in all three of my last books, um, uh, and I'm not going to go into this uh, in too much depth now. But this idea uh, that uh, that that we 
um, are able to put aside uh, our own agendas and hurts, uh, that we are able to forgive others, that we reach out and are curious and uh, seek the, the best for others. We don't talk about each other behind each other's back. We, uh, we build people up and we encourage people. Uh, it's a personal power. Uh, and transpersonal power, and I would argue this idea of altruism, this idea that there is a greater good, something that is beyond me, beyond us all, uh, that I am serving, uh, that I believe will be better for us all, for the world. Uh, it, it, people describe this in lots of different ways, in, in some cases even in spiritual terms, and I talk about an academic spiritual perspective here, this idea of connection to the other, to something which is bigger, that is beyond uh, that outlasts us, uh, that might give us purpose or, or meaning. But however you want to talk about it, uh, the, the things that I'm talking about here uh, create and enable you to channel forms of power that uh, I would argue are the things that draw people to us and actually are at the heart of the kind of influ influence that we can yield as empathic leaders, creating self-compassionate and outwardly compassionate cultures and teams that can truly and deeply change the world. Thank you.